0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast, the Ohio Outdoors Podcast. Andrew and Paul, back at it again. Dynamic, Dynamic Duo. Joe, oh, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was on Dan Johnson's show this week, and uh, he called me the Magic Man. I don't know what the hell he was talking about, but thanks, Dan. Appreciate that. So, Magic oh, Man. We'll stick with that. I mean, love you.
1: Children fear you.
0: So, Paul, wh- what have you been up to, buddy? Anything fun?
1: Just schlubbing around like the rest of us. Andrew, I did something pretty neat today. Uh, I did a, a podcast for the NWTF oh. on uh, the new initiative that came out, the RFP program, which is the request for proposal. Uh, we've funded uh, $1.25 million for the research so far this year. We're going to fund, um, it's going to be about, about eight $8 million in research over the next year, year and a half for wild turkey research across this country so i got to talk with our director of conservation which was really neat we're doing a three or four part series we got a new initiative coming out the habitat for the hatch initiative that that i'm going to be talking about on the podcast platform uh with the nwtf so that was pretty neat man enjoyed enjoyed that so check that out turkey call all access
0: that's awesome and i've seen yeah, a man. lot of pictures on social media and stuff and videos of, of pults running around with uh yeah. with hens so that's a good sign and it's too early to tell, right? How the hatch went, but uh, yeah, we'll see how that
1: get them off the ground, man. Yep. I, I don't know where they're at in terms of like size, but yeah, it takes two weeks for Holt, Holt to be able to fly. Just broke my chair. Hang on, um, there, big guy. Yeah, dude. So that's it, man. That's what that's what I've been up to. I'm I'm glad to be be home, feet firmly planted on the ground here uh, in Ohio. So
0: well, I got a couple things for you. So I actually got my bow out and started. Hammering the targets. Things are going well. Starting to get used to that new site. Getting ready for Archery Hike coming up, which ArcheryHike.com, July 7th, 8th, and 9th, I believe, are the dates. Uh, so this show that we're, you know, uh, this show's going to drop on July 5th. Happy 4th of July to all of you. Late yes. 4th of July. Happy late 4th of July. Um, so it's going to drop July 5th, so like two days you have to sign up for Archery Hike um, and get down there. But... Anyhow, getting ready for that. So that was exciting. I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty good, which means the next time I go out, I'll be losing arrows. But um, you and I were just talking, Paul. All right. So, yes, we are the Ohio Outdoors podcast. But I've been going over to Pennsylvania for a few years um, to hunt over there. And uh, yes, and I went they opened up their license sales this week. And they let's say if you've never done Pennsylvania licensing, In the past, it's been very old school, and you had to send in these envelopes, these pink envelopes, and um, whatever. But this year, they're doing a lot more stuff online. Um, Paul, I went, I think it was about 10 o'clock in the morning, onto their website. I had to put my name in the queue because there was 92,000-plus people ahead of me.
1: Holy cow.
0: And they were going to send me an email. And I had, ten, <laughs> once I got that email, I had 10 minutes to hit the link to get in line and to get, you know, get in my spot to get my license. Yeah. I got that email at like eight o'clock at night.
1: It took that long. for It took like time. 10
0: hours. Wow. It was incredible. Um, so, hey, it did work. Okay. I got, I got everything taken care of and all in good time. But man, that was uh, quite the doozy. So here's my other story for you, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> I think I kind of told you about it. I know I told you about it, but I had to go out to Oregon for work last week and, uh, on my way back. So I, I'm just going to tell the story how it goes because that's what it is. I have my backpack, right? And this backpack is, is one that I generally. I use for a lot of things. It's a nice stone glacier backpack and I find it comfortable and carries a lot of stuff. And so it's my day to day bag. Okay, I can seal and carry. A lot of times I have have my uh, firearm in there. and uh, But then I, I, I've obviously tried to clean the bag out as well as I could. But I've also taken this bag on hunting trips and different things. Anywho, so clean the bag out before I leave. Take all my, you know, travel stuff. Fly to Portland. Uh, do my thing out there in, in grass seed world. Go to come back through the airport in Portland. Okay, and now if you haven't tr- traveled on an airplane lately, they have the, the little bomb-sniffing dogs go past you, which I'm totally on board with, all that, you know, let's be safe, uh, no problems there. We get through this this line, and the guy in, uh, that I was traveling with, I said to him, I said, you know, it always makes me a little bit nervous when I go through this stuff, because this bag that I carry, uh, you know, I normally have um, my firearm in it, but... Uh, I don't know if there's residual or anything that could be in the bag that would set one of these dogs off or some kind of sensor or something like that. But i I got right through, no problem. Put the bag up on the x-ray table, goes through the bag gets pulled aside. I'm like, okay, this isn't the first time I've been patted down or anything in an airport because I look really suspicious, but whatever. Again, safety, not worried about it. I got time. I got plenty of time before the plane goes out. That bag sits there. The bag sits there. And I think it was about 15 minutes. Um, finally, some supervisor lady comes over. She's like, is this your bag? I'm like, yeah. So she takes it. She's like, I might have to go through it. Oh, that's fine. I don't, I don't, there's nothing in there. She dives right in there. She knew right where she was going and pulls out a 6-5 Creedmoor round that was at the bottom <laughs> of my bag. And I'm one of those people that in a weird situation like that where I should have had this like ghostly look on my face all I could do is smile. And I just had this huge smile and grin on my face. And I'm like, stop smiling, Andrew, stop smiling. What are you doing? Like, I look at the guy next to me. Oh, and he's yeah. like, are you, are you serious? And now the lady just took it and I'm guessing. Okay. First of all, I know that was in there from when I went to Oklahoma. It's been in there since then. I didn't realize it was in there, but that's had to have been when it, when it fell out or something. Um, had no intentions of having that in my bag. I somehow it got through from you know, Columbus over to Portland. But nonetheless, ladies like, I'm just gonna I'm gonna have to take this from you. And I'm like, uh yeah, absolutely. Don't detain me here in Portland. That's the last place I really want to be stuck. Um she took it out, gave me the bag back, <laughs> no problems. So uh I it was one of those things though that like, man, I get your heart going. And yeah, I, I think I texted the the group or Buddy's down there, go there. you know, have yeah. to make a joke out of it. You know, Andrew, there's uh, easier ways to get cavity searches than uh, jam bullets up your ass. so
1: <laughs> Just, uh, she, she should have like, oh, look at this hunting douche here, 6'5 round.
0: Right. I wonder, I do wonder how often that happens. And, I mean, obviously it's not, I didn't have, it was, I didn't have a gun, anything with me, nothing close, right? Um but I, there's always that idea and my luck, the primer got popped and all shit would have hit the fan, but the, oh my God. um, being that Oregon is kind of a, an area for big game hunting. I, I wonder if that doesn't happen more often where, um, you know, a rogue rogue round just makes its way into a bag. And yeah, and
1: I, it. you know, obviously they, they weren't that tore up about it. They just took it and moved on with their day.
0: Yep. And that was fine. And I yeah. appreciate it. And, Trust me, it will uh-huh. not happen again. Um, man,
1: what a day. Well, Andrew, let's pay the bills, man. HalfRack.com, Half-Rack.com, Ohio Outdoors, 15 per, Ohio Outdoors 15. Save yourself 15% on every order that you've got. They've got a ton of stuff if you're working on, on your land. This year, we're going to talk a lot about working on land, Andrew. Get all sorts of stuff for the uh, land manager, for the hunter. I talked for this on our episode uh, last week. Their t-shirt game is real strong at Half Rack. So check them out at half-rack.com. Ohio Outdoors 15.
0: Yep. And then time to go wild.com or download the Go Wild app on your favorite platform. But this is your online social media for hunters and anglers. Uh, these guys got all kinds of stuff going on here. So um, different avenues to go down hunting, turkey hunting, bass fishing, white deer, houndsmen, mobile hunting, uh, they've got online commerce, so some things you can pick up there. Actually, a lot of things. They um, got. They've been upgrading their fishing line galore, man. So that's definitely something to check out. Trail cams, all that kind of stuff. If you're looking for that, heading into um, the fall, definitely check out. Go wild. Uh, time to go wild. Dot uh, First light. Thanks, to our guys over there dropping some new logo wear. Uh, that trace system. That will be if it. If it ever gets hot, uh, that would be a great option there for the early season um, when it comes to getting out there. so
1: Yeah, they got some good – they got some – those – those. I got to get that system. But uh, MidwestGunWorks.com, if you are into the shooting sports, if you're trying to get your deer rifle or shotgun ready for the season, duck gun ready for the season, need some gunsmithing work, they've got a fantastic uh, in-house gunsmithing department. The parts finder, they have a ton of options uh, for, for parts if you're working on something obscure, something weird, or something uh, is run-of-the-mill as a, wind- a Remington 870. I almost said Winchester 870. Can you imagine the hate that I would got if I would have said Winchester 870? Uh, God, settle down. Remington 870, MidwestGunWorks.com, Ohio Outdoors, Five. save your five, yourself 5% on every uh purchase that you make ohio bha we're going to be at muster in the marsh july 21st to the
0: 23rd in Conneaut. that was my sign oh, also for x vision sorry Oh can yeah. Fin- no, no, fin- no. i thought you were telling me to stop no, I'm like, no, well, no. it's
1: gonna be it's gonna be great i'm looking at their instagram right now ryan <laughs> callahan's gonna be a, <laughs> yeah. and look we're on we're
0: on the i saw that
1: yeah look at us man yeah. look at us taking care of us appreciate you guys so yeah you can visit backcountryhunterandanglers.com. To become a member today of, the, of of the BHA, or you can visit muster m u s t e r in the marsh dot com uh, to get your tickets. It's going to be one hell of an event.
0: Yeah, and uh, we had Henry from the B Ohio BHA on a couple weeks ago, so or maybe that was that was a couple weeks ago. Uh, hop back there if you got any more information. He's in the intro with us. Um, but finally, we got X Vision as our uh, final partner there. So just getting, man, I need to get out and use that more, but. Uh, I'm really contemplating one of these thermal monoculars there, Paul, because I think this things pretty slick, really handy just to pop that up and and go. But yeah. awesome for your thermal vision, night vision, binos, range finders, all kinds of stuff. So, xvisionoptics.com. So, uh, what a group!
1: What a group! And also, just quick shout out uh, to the to the guys at Redfin Polarized. Those glasses are phenomenal. There's some if if you were an angler. I'm telling you, their polarized glasses are second to none. And I've had all of them. I've had Costas. I've had Ray-Bans. I've had Oakley's. I've had all those. Their their glass and their sunglasses is amazing. Absolutely amazing. That's it. I'm done. All done. So this week we've got Greg.
0: Two news stories. Two news stories. Oh, I z- forgot all z- about z- the z-
1: news. Yeah, zip it, man. Let's roll it.
0: All right. Real quick. Two news stories. Uh, ODNR dedicating the Little Darby Creek as a state nature preserve um so actually that happened today but if you'd like to read more about it um ohiodnr.gov and then something that more people are probably interested in uh oh, that's not fair I shouldn't say that um uh, but applying in July for Ohio's controlled hunting opportunities so uh starting on Saturday July 1st um you'll have the ability to apply for the hunting lotteries for deer, waterfowl, doves, and more on public land for 2023-2024 season, and that application period goes until July 31st, so take advantage of that. It's a good deal. There's lots of options out there across the state, um, so as this airs, we will have uh, have that open, but all right, Paul, on to today's episode.
1: Greg Kasmierski. How do I say that? You've got it down.
0: No, I don't. Because I oh, got, you suck. You've I had talk it in about front of it right, right in the beginning.
1: Yeah, and in, in the beginning. So Greg is uh, uh, works for Ohio Whitetail Partners Land Managers. This is second time on the program. We had a great conversation about what you as land managers can be doing right now. Travel corridors, hunter access, bedding area establishment. We dive deep into public land summertime scouting. Great talk with Greg. Thank you so much, Greg, for your time. Really appreciate it. So, uh, this will kind of be the rotation for our whitetail series. We're going to have a land, some land talk, some habitat work talk. Um, we'll have some techniques, some strategy, some gear talk. We're gonna we're gonna roll our whitetail series out here uh, and, and get you guys up to speed for whitetail season here in the Buckeye State.
0: Yeah, and I think that we're gonna try to get some guys on to talk about. Uh, hunting in, in different states so if if it's uh hunting out of state is something you've been interested in maybe been a little bit apprehensive we get some of the surrounding guys to give us a rundown of you know just the general layout of their states and different regulations yeah. dude
1: cats like out that. of the bag for me hunting out of state i i avoided it for years dude i it's it's like my i i love it it's so much fun it's new territory it's new people it's new memories same animals right same turkeys or you know deer or whatever but I, the the new if the new terrain is what really, like, really excites me hunting out of, out of state. It it's is. Just new areas. And it's, you know, you can do it cheap. You can do it affordable. We're going to dive into that for sure. So.
0: Cool. Well, we appreciate everybody. Uh, hop on. Give us a review. Um, if you get a chance, find us on Instagram. It's the 2podcast theo uh, Theo2podcast.com. Go Wild. It's o 2 Podcast. Besides that, man, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Feel free to reach out to us. Let us know what we're doing—good, bad, whatever—and we'll go from there. Thanks, guys. Take care.
1: All right, all right, Greg. Say all of that that you just did again, word for word. Hold on, Andrew Andrew didn't hit record. No, we're starting. No, before we get started, before
0: he goes into that again. Okay, I have to tell you, Greg. And I shared this with Paul and our buddy Josh Raley the other day. Um, but I'm trying t- I was trying to get you booked on the show and mm-hmm. another guy uh, this is uh, this might be my other um, land management guy Guy's name's Greg also. So you're Greg Kazmierski. and this is Greg Kedzierski, okay KED
2: oh wow yeah so
0: that. do you want to know how bad that was screwing with my head when i was looking through emails and stuff <laughs> trying to find Greg? Oh, which greg is that or which greg is that which one because i think we're gonna try to talk to him in a couple of weeks and it's like wait i gotta send the right link to the right person and right oh, man <laughs> i was like i was pulling my hair out last night oh man you know, so all that well, said greg- we got greg back Two so, time.
1: Greg, second time on the show, man. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. I, I'm, I'm going to touch on real quick what you just said before, um, prior to, to recording. You were, you were basically talking about how at this point in the year, and we're, this is the third week of June or the, the end of June that we're recording this, that the, the time for big habitat improvement projects has, has kind of come and gone. Um, why is that? Touch on that real quick.
2: Uh, so there's a few reasons why it's not, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't get out there and still implement these projects if you desire to. Uh, one big reason is just the enjoyment side of it. Uh, you know, things get really thick and alive in Ohio in the summertime and going out in the woods can be really just unfriendly. Uh, you're going to get folks stabbed, cut, whatever you can really draw up is going to happen to you. And outside of that, uh, if you are going to go in there and say you want to implement like a new bedding area, um, one is the, are the deer going to use that come season? Is it going to develop enough that they're going to feel comfortable using it? And two, if you go and start making these major changes into deer summer, summer patterns and routines, um, is it going to cause too much of a hassle on your property that they're going to kind of like bug out and you're going to do more harm than you are going to do good on the property. So it's just like every property is going to be different. You know, if you're working on a six, 700 acre monster piece of property, you can do these kind of things in stages. But if you only say have, you know, 20, 30 acres to work with, that's kind of your bread and butter right there. And you, you want to preserve it for all that it's worth for that optimal time of the season.
0: So, I know the last time you were on, Greg, we were uh, kind of finishing up the end of the hunting season or late winter. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of because I remember sitting here saying, "Okay, when I sit in the tree, I'm looking at all the different things I I need to do. Right. Um, So ideally, then you're saying everybody, Mm -hmm. you should have been working on those projects this spring, getting things in the ground, clearing areas out, all that kind of stuff. And at this point, we are just kind of going to step back from the big projects in general.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, uh, so like for us, we do us as, I mean, like all the guys that we have at Whitetail Partners, we're doing a lot of our property visits in like that January to right about Memorial Day timeframe. Just one, because like you said, towards the end of hunting season, when you're sitting up in the tree, you can see everything. And it's really nice to be able to walk a property with a landowner and have them pretty much tell you, this is what goes on right now during hunting season. And then at me as a consultant, I can look around and say, okay, I know exactly where we need to draw up all of these projects to make this property even better. Um, so it's just a lot easier during that time frame and you have more access to the property. You're not at all concerned about really what are you doing to the deer because you have so long until it matters again, that that's the time for like that mass intrusion. And going back to like the bedding area type thing, you're giving that, area time for all of that spring green up to grow around it and then the deer are going to kind of use it as they like to use it and how they want to use it and by the time hunting season rolls around they're going to be so comfortable in it because they've been using it you know at that point for six seven months and nobody's been bothering it so it's really just that how comfortable are the deer now on those big projects compared if you would have done them three four months ago
0: All right. Selfishly, is it too late to plant Sudan grass if I want to create a wall?
2: So I think, well, that's what's so tricky. Like this year, you know, um, man, it's been so dry that anybody that planted anything in the springtime, is it worth anything right now? And obviously it's different everywhere you go and like what type of access you have to be able to water your projects and everything like that. Uh, But you are going to be able to catch that second window uh come like the august planting um where you can still potentially get it but man again with how dry it's been it's like are we going to get any kind of like sustainable amount of rain that it's worth planting or i don't know it's uh it's one of those things when you're at the mercy of mother nature there's only so much you can so much advice you can give before you just got to kind of Plant and prey, I guess you could say.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you what: if plants grew off a of wildfire smoke from Canada, they'd be ten feet tall. You know, the day after yeah, we'd you planted be doing, them. So, right. man, no
2: maybe uh, maybe that's how the the bucks grow their antlers too, is from that wildfire smoke. Then we'll all be in luck.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Then, so all right, so we're not doing major projects at this point,
1: but there's still a lot to do. Yes, yes, definitely. So uh, you yeah. you had mentioned bedding areas when, when when did deer establish their their bedding areas i mean is that just something they're moved around all year or do you see they're like pretty defined areas now and they're going to maintain those so, areas for for the their duration of the hunting season
2: yeah so i think with like uh if you're talking about like doe families things like that if they can get into a bedding area where they're going to have pretty much bedding revolves around food in my opinion And if you can get a good centrally located bedding area for a doe family, where they can have all season food, and it might be a different direction, but within like a relatively close distance, they're going to be comfortable living in that area all year long. Uh, You're going to have like those micro shifts and everything, depending on what's the dominant food source. I mean, like right now, you know, you can go out and drive around all these ag fields and you see deer every single night. And I'm sure that on those unpressured pieces of farmland that nobody's ever going out in those woodlots. Well, those deer don't have a problem bedding, you know, 50, 75 yards off the wood line. Nobody's bothering them and they don't want to do any more work than they have to, to go from bed to food, especially in these warmer summer months. Um, So I think as long as those bedding areas have that year round food, they're going to stick to it. Uh, But when it comes to like the bucks, I feel like they're more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they're not going to put up with as much and they are going to change things a lot faster is what I've noticed. Uh, They'll bounce around and they just kind of, I feel like those bucks are always using the does as almost like little pawns on a chessboard and they're letting Either those does or the young bucks be like, OK, you go out in that field first and let me know if there's anything that's going to be out there to get me and I'll sneak out behind you. And it's the same thing when they're out on an open oak ridge later on in the fall. So I think those bucks kind of move a little bit more than those doe families uh, in a long wraparound way to answer your question there.
0: So one of the things I was just thinking about, um, and maybe this is more of a biology biological question how do fawns affect any of this habitat or do they um i mean because i'll have pictures i'm really good at getting pictures of does by the way but um mm-hmm. i'll have a doe and she'll have the fawn and a couple days later you know i'm sure the fawn's nearby i'm assuming it's the same doe um but then she's not there the fawn's not there for a couple days and i'm like oh great coyote got her or something but then she's back and um mm-hmm. I don't know. How does that affect their patterns and, you know, just in in building habitat? Because I've always been kind of one of those believers. If you find the does, the bucks will, you know, you'll find the bucks when the time is right. But and I know that's not everybody's philosophy, but do the fawns play into this at all when they're, you know, at this very young stage?
2: Uh, you know, I think that's going to be situational, uh, kind of like back to like that centralized doe or bedding area where the doe families are going to hang out. It, the does are always going to have like those fawning areas, uh, that they like to drop their fawns and keep them during the springtime. And that's just going to be places that instinctively those moms feel like their, their fawn is going to be able to make it through the spring until they're a little bit more independent come fall, um, Obviously, like you were saying, there's a lot more biology that goes into that. But just from like my observations, uh, I started, I actually started running more trail cameras in the springtime now to start to try to key in on those fawn drop dates because of that cycle. You can date it back to when that specific doe was going into heat back in the fall. And if she does have that annual bedding where she's sticking in one core area, that allows me come that pre rut phase to almost predict when she's going to go into heat. And then you can kind of know you like, you're stacking those odds in your favor of like, okay, this dough bedding area is going to be better on October 28th because of the timeline when this, when this fawn dropped.
0: That's good.
1: That, yeah, that blew my mind. And, and maybe that's a pretty standard practice in deer hunting, Andrew and Greg. Did I don't lose know. you guys
0: there? Oh, you're you're still there. No, you're good. You're good. Yeah, I got you your, froze on the screen, us? but can you hear us? So you're going to take the your your trail cam picture to see the where the fawn was was dropped, and we'll just say it was you know June first. And you're going to go back. What is it? Uh, how, many, how many days? Two hundred
2: and ten days, I believe it is. 200. is the exact is the exact number.
0: Okay, two hundred and ten days. You go back. And you were saying it'd be like October 28th or whatever. So then that'll give you Mm -hmm. some idea. Is that, is that pretty standard that they basically go into estrus the same time every year? Do you know?
2: The, the same dough will like relatively close to it. um, Because it, I don't know. And I don't want to like dive too far into like this biology standpoint because I'm not a biologist. Uh, I just go based off of the information that like I can find online. And I, from what I've seen, just like from my visual experience in the woods is that, yes, those, those does are typically going into, into heat at that same time every year. And even if I can narrow it down, you know, to a couple of days for me, that's like all the information I need to know, like, okay, I'm stacking the odds in my favor to dive in to the downwind side of this dough bedding area because I have a pretty good idea that that dough or a collection of those doughs are going to start to go into heat.
0: And Greg, I'm going to agree with you 100% because I feel like I've seen the same thing. So um, it might might just be internet fodder or uh, at least I, I will agree with you, so good that's all I, as long as i got somebody else <laughs> out
2: there that tells me i'm not crazy that means that i'm i'm doing something right
1: he's gonna review all this trail cam the pictures for the last five years tonight greg you've just yep. worked his <laughs> sleep so. you know what though there's <laughs>
0: something else you said in there i don't know why but it just dawned on me paul one of the properties i've got a camera out and it stays out all year long i haven't seen a fawn yet out there i don't know mm. if that's uh it's probably not a good thing but yeah I don't know of the work, biological work
1: something or other happening out there. I don't know. Um, so, Greg, <laughs> let's let's dive into uh, your bread and butter. Let's let's talk about. Um, you mentioned two things earlier in the show: travel corridors and hunter access. So, these are things that that, that we as land managers have control over at this point in our our season, right? Yep. So yep. Um, Go ahead. Go ahead. I, was I say, just
0: we're, <laughs>
2: you, you go. Okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, with like those travel corridors and the hunter access, if say it's something that you've established in the springtime or, uh, years before right now is a great time to just like periodically go out and make sure that those are being well-maintained. You know, when we start getting these storms and stuff that roll in, you don't know when trees are going to fall over uh, especially a travel corridor that's important because you want deer to be so comfortable on those for as long as possible that if a, a major tree fall or something like that is dehabilitating their their access on that travel route well they're just going to start using somewhere else and it's going to make that less effective so now that's why i said like is a great time for that maintenance and you can kind of see, like, how are the travel corridors working? And then you're kind of back to that, okay, we're predicting what parts of the property the deer are going to use later in the year, um, kind of when that shift starts to happen, you know, from these summer ranges. And they start to get into more of that bed to food, especially like the bucks, like what we're all after, you know, when are they going to start using those and make sure that they're going to use them the way that we want to.
1: Now, Will you manipulate, like, the travel corridors with with brush piles or taking trees down if you need to redirect deer traffic? Is that something that you advocate for?
2: Yeah. Um, so, you can either – so, I like to pair it, especially when I get into, like, the southern parts of the state. I really like to pair it with uh, topography. And, like, when you start to get that rocky outcrop, uh, you can use trees and kind of follow them in a way – that it makes it really easy to direct that deer travel right where you want it to go. Because when they have like that rocky outcrop or a steep slope, they already don't want to go or can't go that way. And now you're just like making an even sweeter route for them. And you're really just able to narrow down that uh, where where you want them to travel. And I kind of like to work backwards from those travel routes to how I'm going to access the spot or how I'm going to draw up the plan for the hunter to access his spot, uh, to kind of use that to topography to his advantage, but then also for the deer's advantage while they're using that travel corridor.
0: So for the guys that don't have the Rocky outcrops and all that kind of stuff, maybe they're hunting a farm Western part of the state or relatively flat, you know, mowing. I know that's a, a big portion of, you know, cutting paths and different things like that. I've always heard deer take the path of least resistance, that kind of stuff. Yep. On, uh, you know, your home lawn, you're, you're mowing once a week or, or more uh, generally. I, when you're doing paths and stuff like that, depending on what kind of equipment and stuff you're using, should that be on a regular basis, like once a week, once a month? Uh, how, how often should you be messing around with that in there?
2: Yeah, you know, that's obviously uh, it's going to be situational based off of uh, what, type, what type of vegetation you're talking about. Um, but typically, like, it's not something you need to do all of the time. Uh, One, because you don't want to just be out out there all the time, kind of messing up the interior part of your property. Uh, But two, a lot of that is good natural browse for the deer uh, while they're just kind of walking down those trails. And if you get that like grassy type vegetation, they're just going to pick their way across it right now, but you get them using that trail. So uh, really it's, it's, so it's, I like to look at like, as long as the trail isn't overwhelmingly thick Or you have like brush coming over the top, you know, like you get in those honeysuckle thickets in the central western part of the state or those uh, tall briar patches next to fields and stuff like that. And you can blaze a trail through those. And like you said, the path of least resistance, it's the same thing as a deer walking around an outcrop. Um, It's just this is on flat ground like that is their resistance. But if they want to get to what's on the other side of that thick patch, if you blaze a trail for them. I mean, they're gonna u- they're gonna start using that trail. All
0: right, you mentioned something in there, <clears throat> honeysuckle, invasive species management, and it's a hot topic. Uh, we hear a lot about it in different parts of the, you know all kinds of stuff. But when it comes to plants, you got to be able to if you're gonna attack an invasive species, honeysuckle. I mean, it could be any one of the weeds we were talking about thistle earlier. You got to hit it when it's growing, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Right now, I've always been told thistle, um, if you're trying to take that out, uh, you know, from the weed perspective, you got to hit it right when it's about to flower because it's exerted all of its energy up and it's time to to knock it back. Um, Are there other plants, basically, herbicide applications or invasive species management, is right now a good time for that or is there a better time throughout the year? Uh You know, again, unfortunately,
2: like all of these questions are situational based off of like where you are, what you have for property, because I don't know, I look at like the, and this might not be a very popular opinion, but if the invasive species is managed in a way where you can have it contained, but you can still use it to the advantage of your habitat, then removing it can dehabilitate like the how good your whitetail property is. Um, so that's like a just a way that I look at it because I see a lot of deer in like those honeysuckle patches and stuff. Just because like for us to walk through it, there's just it's not possible. And if you do go through it, you're crawling and you're making a bunch of noise. And it's like those are great safe zones for deer to escape to. So it's like, man, if I can just contain that, like that's a natural bedding area that deer already want to use. Let me just go in there and make a couple extra little pockets, some entry exit trails. And man, they're going to just start loving places like that. So from a, from managing an invasive species uh, perspective, that might not be like the best approach, but for overall habitat and like the performance of your property, if it makes the most sense, you know, if you have 10 acres and you got a three acre honeysuckle patch, man, maybe you start finding ways to use that to your advantage rather than getting rid of it now that a plus aspect of your property is just eliminated
1: an interesting perspective i like honeysuckle to turkey hunt out of i will say that yeah that it helps. is nice it, it, <laughs> yeah. it is
2: a it is a cool little thing to it's a love
1: underneath. <laughs> yeah it's a love love hate relationship i guess so
2: right that's why it's like man i don't i don't want to like step on any toes because i know like from a from an invasive management perspective like it might not be the best approach but man, if like, for me being the deer, not that I'm in, if the deer, not that I am, if the deer likes something and I can use it to my advantage, why would I remove it? You know? So selfishly, selfishly speaking, um, that's, that's one of the ways I can look at it.
0: And I, I I don't disagree with you on that. I'm, I'm just thinking, and this is something I've always struggled with. You know, we hear about plant native plants and all that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong. They're, Invasive plants are... You're ready to put in
1: Sudan grass, man. You've sold sold the ship down the river,
0: man. That'll frost (laughs) and die. It'll be gone. Uh, But things like honeysuckle that don't really provide a food benefit for many of our native animals, but they will, you know, offer cover. So that's, you know, something. But any of these invasives that are choking out your spring ephemerals and different things like that, man, it's, it's weird. And then you're just fighting mother nature. And it's like, would that plant have gotten here. Anyways, we can point fingers at how it got here in the first place or right. I don't know, man, it gets. Yeah. Sigh, just a challenge.
2: Start looking down the evolutional timeline and you're like, man, is it, does everything I'm doing here really matter? You know, right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, the emerald ash was going to come here at some point, right? And it just, maybe uh, we, we just might've fast forwarded it. So, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> but, so Greg, let's, let's talk about, um, let's talk about hunter access. And so if I'm looking at hunter access and, in, in conjunction with, with stand locations. So if you've got new, new access to a property, like, you know, when are you picking stand locations and what are you looking for? So
2: if like, say if a property is already has like a plan intact, I like to develop these travel corridors, bedding areas where the food is and how that all connects and then pick those optimal stand locations off of that. I mean, every property is going to have like just those slam dunk spots. For me, I can just like walk up and look at a tree and be like, That's it. You know, that's the one let's find a way to make this spot work. But once the deer start to use a property the way that they want to use it, that's where you can kind of like start to pick apart just a little at a time. And even like, to me, I would rather have, you know, two to three just bulletproof a plus spots that are on predominant travel corridors rather than just like 10 average spots it's a quality over quantity for me um, whether i'm designing a property or i'm hunting it myself i just really want to make sure that the access doesn't any way affect the how the deer are using the property really good way to do that is try to go at it as like uh access perpendicular to the way that the deer are are uh, walking through that zone. So if a deer trail is east to west, try to come in from the south to north or north to south, whatever the edge of your property and the wind provides for you, get that perpendicular access. And what that's going to allow you to do is not cross paths with the deer um, because they're,
1: they're moving the opposite direction in front of you. It's good stuff. Months you've got you've got kind of a small, several small properties that that, that you hunt. Are, are I mean, do you feel like you're kind of limited to stand locations?
0: Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no. So uh, I'm all about so what, that tree. I got one one or two trees. We're gonna make yeah. them work. No, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, Greg, what are
1: what are things that that hunters can do if they are hunting those small properties? Um, that they're they're you know they're those imaginary lines or actual fences or whatever it may be. Um, What are some things that, that hunters can do or look for to, to kind of change those tables and and their odds for being in the right spot?
2: Yeah, man, I like to, and that, this kind of like ties into the whole, what can you do in the summertime to get the most out of your hunting season? And I love to take the, cause I do, I mean, I just obsess over deer all year long. Like it's just my jam. So I'm just always into it. Um, I know like a lot of people aren't spending as much time as I do, but take the summertime to really l- reflect on the past seasons of the property and how you're anticipating it based off of this year's food sources. You know, like, are we dealing with a dry year this year? Um, you can kind of anticipate is that going to affect the crops? Is that going to affect the uh, the mass production in the hardwoods? And you can kind of start to predict what is going to happen come the fall time to determine, like, okay, this zone of my property, whether it's 10 acres or 100 acres, is probably going to be that hot zone. So let me figure out how to access this the best way. Um, so... I do a lot of hunting out on public land actually. And like what I do at this time of the year, um, cause I've been, I've been coming down to Ohio even before I moved down here for a few years where I have like these zones picked out that I know are just going to annually have deer living in them and more than likely a buck that I want to chase. So like, I'll go out there right now and kind of plan my access in and I'll like mock run in there you know like I'm not going to tie the stand or anything on my back but I'm going to walk through the landscape and see like exactly okay this is what the wind is doing actually on a southwest wind like I'm bringing that milkweed with me I call it wind mapping and I'm seeing like how those thermals and wind is happening so if there's like a hidden if there's a hidden thing that's hurting me at that time I know when it doesn't matter the beauty about these private land plans that I draw up is that you have the ability to manipulate the landscape and you have the ability to access however you want without worrying about other people just kind of like blowing your setup up. So if you aren't afraid to just kind of like go out and spend a little time on the exterior part of your property in the summer, I mean, man, you can get so much good Intel from like wind mapping, just observing what's going on, looking at tracks, everything like that. Um, I just tried, like, in a nutshell. If you can just find out where the deer don't want to walk, and you walk there, <laughs> that's that's like the best hunter access you can draw.
1: Let's let's talk about that that summer months. Did you have something? Because we're getting no. ready to chase a rabbit down the trail, man. Gray, if you're ready, you let me know. Oh, I'm uh, I'm all I'm always ready. <laughs> so the the public land summer scouting. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's something that that I've tried to some effort into the last couple of years um i'm fascinated I, I like your idea of of running through just like a mock entrance into the woods um what's the wind doing talk about that wind mapping a little a little bit more um if, if you've got any anything left to talk about that's 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 very because an idiot like me i go out you know on the day of the hunt you know and i'm like oh okay that's what it does you can throw, throw the throw them out i'm like ah, okay yeah. but i've already like ruined The entire area, because I just stomped over. (laughs) So, uh, what
2: I'll I'll do, I have have just like a good story example of how this worked out really good for me. Um, Unfortunately, it just didn't bring in the buck that I wanted. Uh, So, it happened last year. I found this white oak ridge uh, that was just like red hot, uh, like a week and a half before season last year, that I glass the uh the private egg around it all summer and there was just some hammer bucks hanging out and i just and there wasn't a lot of timber there so i knew that if there were deer hanging out there still and if there was oaks in there i'm like that's going to be a great spot to be i had a camera collecting data in there all summer and i had these bucks on camera but anyway what i did the few weeks before the season opened was i walked in there with my milkweed on a solid west wind like a good probably 15 mile hour west wind at like three in the afternoon right about the time i would be headed in there and how this worked is the oak ridge was like a flat on the top but it was almost like a washout next to it and it went right down to a creek bottom and um what i noticed when i was up on top of that oak flat was it was a straight west wind like i said i could stand on the edge of that flat and my milkweed would drop right down that washout, which was directly northwest. So almost complete opposite direction of the wind. So it was like that light bulb moment instantly went off. Like I can come in here on a strong west wind and my my scent is going to blow the opposite direction. But those bucks are going to walk right out of their bedding area and they're going to come out on this oak ridge before hitting the beans. And I'm just like slam down because it's going to work perfect, right? And it did, uh, just unfortunately it wasn't the buck I was after, you know, I, I actually hunted this spot for the first, uh, like 10 days of season morning and night. And I had this bulletproof access and every single day I seen like somewhere between four to seven of these bucks, but it was never, never the shooter. Um, I, I had like two encounters with what I thought was him, but it was like right before, right after legal shooting light. And it was just too dark to see. But I mean, to be in the game like that consistently on a piece of public and have bulletproof access like that, that was all the proof I needed to be like, man, this wind mapping stuff works and what you see on the weather channel, or even if you feel it as you're walking, like that subtle, uh, topo change where there's that washout, it can completely pull your scent the opposite direction. And it's like, that's the, that's the deer's weakness because they don't know that's what's going on. But like, we're able to kind of collect those thoughts and break things down like that. Even if it takes us a while, sometimes we're still able to do that. And that put me in a position to take a buck,
0: um, if I wanted to, or I was just waiting on that bigger guy. That's very fascinating. And yeah. it's way more than my pea brain can handle. at this point Oh
2: man. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's left me up many, many sleepless nights. You know, that's, 11 30 yeah. yeah. i'm laying in bed looking at the ceiling i look at my wife i'm like i got it i'm gonna, I'm gonna get it. all right you know like, i Greg, figured go, it out Greg, yeah <laughs> go to sleep you're not gonna do
1: it you know
0: <laughs> now one of the things you talked about in there last year you had beans in that field right so whether it's public or private or whatever crop rotation a lot of times we go in from corn to beans or beans to corn vice versa if that field that you know and that could be a, a, we'll pretend that your public land is actually somebody's private land are you going to modify anything there based on this year if it's corn?
2: Uh, yeah, could, because the other factor that you have in, too, is, is are those white oaks going to produce like, like they did in 2022? Um, you don't you don't know until you know, and that's the other value of the summer scouting I've found is it takes a little bit for them to start to develop, but, man, once you start to get into, like, that end, of, I love to go out, like, excuse me, like end of July area after a great big windstorm, wind and rain, when some of those branches drop off the oak trees. And that's just like free intel to be like, oh, yep, this one's going to have it. This one's going to have it. And I can start marking those spots out. And I have an idea now. It's like if I'm trying to scout 100 acres and that has 500 oak trees on it, you know, well, if I can narrow that down to like, okay, out of those 500 oak trees, I only found, 30 that are dropping leaves that have acorns on them so now i only have to scout 10 15 of that 100 acres i'm just narrowing it down and pinching it down um to back to that like i'm predicting where the deer are going to spend the time once that summer shift switches to that fall shift
1: You got something
0: on? I I got all kinds of. stuff. I know I'm you just, do. I know you're. I know I'm trying you're to really think like if, if I need to elaborate any more on that. So let's just say that that oak tree is still <laughs> hot, right? You still got you got another year. Good good production of acorns out of that. Are you? Does the corn come into play at all?
2: It can, yeah. Um, man, it's like it's so hard for me because I've I've experienced deer in egg fields when. Every, like anything you read or hear people talk about on podcasts, like you're never going to see a deer eating beans at X date at this time. And it's like, oh, looking through my binoculars, there's one right there, you know? So that's why it's so hard about like listening to podcasts. I love, it's like a love hate relationship because I get so much good information, but it took me so long to realize that you can't take everything word for word and just drop it into what you have going on you have to like pick out those little parts of how can I use this to like, like a, almost like a bullet point list. Like next time I go out into the woods, I remember when Greg said this, this, and this, how can I use that here? And you still have to like have that application of the knowledge and try to learn when you're out there, not just like take that information in. And that's like a, That's a big thing I try to do when I walk a client's property with them is I don't want to just go out there to just like draw up the plan. I want to go out there and try to like help them understand why the deer are doing what they're doing. So that way they have a little bit more intention behind the plan that they're drawing off.
0: Gotcha. So if you pick up a new property, let's say just picked it up on July 1st and I mean, I'm going to, we'll just try to make it situational. Um, you know, we'll say the the, the landowner is basically going to give you the run of the mill to do what you want within reason, right? They don't want you to clear cut the whole place and make a giant food plot. But, um, what are some things that people should be considering if they've got a new property cutting, you know, shooting lanes is always something I've thought about like your access. Is there anything else they can do at this point in the year to improve that? Um, is it you know, cut a tree here and there, trying to try and redirect the deer or what would you do in that situation? I guess there's just going to be situational.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be situational, but just like from a 10,000 foot overhead view, a really good opportunity to, even if like worst case scenario, you're just starting to gain inventory. Um, if you get like that first look at the property and you can reasonably predict like, okay, this is how I think the deer are going to move through here and you can create those travel corridors like I don't think that you're going to do any harm by creating travel routes for the deer at any point because it doesn't take long I mean you can like look around and you can uh you can see like any kind of video of somebody saying like I just cut this down and like 20 minutes later a deer showed up that's because there's food that you drop when you cut that tree down so same thing if you're opening up that trail whether it's cutting through a brush thicket or cutting trees down and open up a hill if you make that trail you can also add in a mock scrape and you just make that mock scrape so deliberate that they can't miss it like put it right smack dab in the middle of that travel corridor and they're going to start to use it and once they start to use it that mock scrape location like in a full good plan I love to draw those up in places that you're going to hunt because it gives the reason the deer reason to stop. But worst case, if you just are getting that property July 1st, and if you can have that set up in the right area where deer are using, you're at least going to start to get inventory and you're going to know like, okay, these are these are the bucks that I'm working with this year that are at least on the property right now.
0: So you mentioned the mock scrape and love it or hate it, Ohio is a bait state. Yep. If you were to incorporate that into your property, private property, when would you suggest starting to put out a salt lick a pile of corn anything like that so
2: that kind of works the same way um as far as like an inventory standpoint that's like like you said you you know love it or hate it it is what it is Uh, i i personally don't do much with like the corn but what's so hard about it especially if you're in an area where you got a lot of hunters around you just know like well if i'm not doing it A, B, and C down the road are. So what am I missing out on if I don't have something to attract them? Um, so really, I mean, if you're willing to put that effort in to have that attractant on your property, I don't think there's a wrong time to get started with it. Um, especially like if you're talking about the minerals and everything, man, when you can help them with that growth, then you're just doing yourself favors for years and years to come, um, by continuously giving them that and what it's doing is it's just it's making deer feel comfortable on your property so that's where it's like you're creating this system throughout your property and if you have that mineral lick or if you are going with like the corn or whatever it may be you're getting deer to move through your property and nothing's bothering them so come the fall time they're not going to be weirded out Uh, if you have that good hunter access you're not going to be weirded out about walking through your property because they've already done it for the last
0: six seven months got it paul you got any uh other important questions because if not i've got a couple little random no
1: i'm just i'm just gonna start wind mapping my (laughs) brains out man that's that's my biggest weakness i think on 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 because i hunt a lot of public is that you know scouting it and a lot of that's just time right scouting it during the summer you know how how the woods changed since last year taking in all of that you know the historical data and making new decisions uh you know this year that's and and you know how the wind moves and and you know that's that's uh that was good yeah. man i really uh, that.
2: so a little bit more context on that i'm like a big excel nerd
1: too so oh i'm sure you are i could i knew it i was gonna ask you yeah. what kind of data points are you collect and every time you go yeah. out.
2: Um, so like over the years I've developed this, like my own little program that if somebody else looked at it, they would just be like, this, this doesn't make any sense, but it makes so much sense to me. It's like a combination of Excel data, uh, Google earth pro and my Onyx, And it's all like kind of linked together. Like I said, in my own weird way, but it tells me that historical data of like what we were talking about a little bit ago, like that spot I was telling you, Like, will your plans change this year with that crop rotation with it being corn? Well, that's where I look back at my little program I have here and I can say, okay, what was going on last time this was corn? And if, you know, last year I had all these good bucks on camera and it was beans, but the year before that, there's half the amount of bucks. Well, I can start to attribute that to the corn because that's the only thing that was different. So it's like I use Excel to kind of like pick out those differences and once you have that again it starts to like stack those odds in your favor or it's like i know i don't have to waste my time there because this spot has all of these other factors
0: going for it on the
2: plus side of
0: things all right i'm gonna get you off the wind mapping paul Oh, greg <laughs> i asked tyler God, and- i won't ask you more questions. <laughs> i asked tyler and casey from the element a couple of weeks ago what's your favorite tree to hunt out of favorite type of tree man
2: that's such a hard question it's a it's going to be a weird answer for me but for some odd reason i feel like i get the best hunts if i can hunt out of like a just a tiny janky little apple tree it's super weird really weird but i like can get into this area where i'm just like man and this is on public land not on private if I'm on private, I'm not going to set somebody up in a janky apple tree, I promise. Um, <laughs> this is this is for pure selfish reasons, but it's like if I get into an area and I'm just like, I know this is where I have to be, there's always just this weird crooked apple tree there. I'm like, I, ga- I got to get in that. And it always works out. I don't know why, but it always ends up being that weird little apple tree.
0: I'm going, to, I'm going to keep asking that question, Paul, and I, I'm going to guess that Greg might be the only person that says weird janky apple tree. So,
2: I think so. Because um, Everyone's going to have something it, different. Yeah. If you looked at it from the ground or if I took pictures of them, you'd be like, there's no way I would hunt out that thing. But yeah. um, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. <laughs>
0: right. So we've talked a lot about different types of trees and that kind of stuff. Do you have... Um, for the somebody who's not schooled or educated in tree identification, I think it can be somewhat nauseating as far as, well, how do I even know what an apple tree is if it doesn't have apples hanging from it or Mm -hmm. the differences between white oaks, red oaks, maples, uh, beech trees, go down the line. Um, Ash trees. If you find any of those, you're not going to have any leaves to work off of, but sure as hell don't want to climb one. Um, Do you have an, an app or is there a good resource that you suggest people go to uh, to help them identify trees when they're out doing this, the summer scouting and and habitat management.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I use it's called Plant ID. It's just a free app in the App Store. Uh, you do have to be connected to the internet to make it work. But uh, if you don't have internet wherever you're out scouting, walking around, or whatever, you can just take the picture and put it into the app later. And that did a really good job for me getting over that learning curve. Um, I didn't. I found that to be so much more useful for like my learning style than reading everything in a book. Because when I read a book, it's like, you know, I'm reading it from front to back, but actually retaining the info I read is a lot different than it's like, Oh, I can pull out my phone and I can take a picture of this. And it's going to instantly tell me what it is. And then I can connect that leaf or bark or whatever it may be, because that app actually works for bark too. I've noticed if you get a good clear picture of a tree, it's not as accurate as the leaves but it can still give you relative accuracy where you know if it's like is this a feed tree or is this not a feed tree kind of thing
0: yeah i think that's a that's an important thing and i mean that's what i went to school for and i probably forgot half of what i learned at one point so um never hurts to to brush up on some of that stuff but definitely (sighs) well i that's all i got paul you got anything else
1: no i i greg where can people find you on social media that was a great talk absolutely yeah thank you uh so
2: i i've been a little bit inactive on my instagram over the summertime um i i've found that it's hard to keep people engaged with the whitetail content all summer long so i kind of tone her back a little bit and just uh save up a lot of my stuff from the fall but i i stay most active on there and that's going to be uh It's whitetail underscore partners underscore Ohio. And then uh, the other thing I started doing, I started putting out more like blog articles on our website, which is whitetailpartners.com. You can go to the learning center and it actually has links to like all the podcasts that we've done. Uh, We're starting to make more YouTube videos. And then, like I said, we're putting articles out there just like good general info. um, Just a good place to organized notes and everything and then just kind of put some stuff out there for guys if they're interested in, in learning a little different way uh but if you ever have any questions or anything you know you can um just get a hold of me on instagram just shoot me a dm and i'm always always happy to talk about deer with somebody other than myself in the mirror so feel free to <laughs> feel free to reach out
1: uh greg i have really appreciated this man we'll uh we'll have to get you back on to talk about some more public land hunting stuff so yeah
2: i, I would love that that's my bread and butter man that that sounds
1: good to me good deal appreciate greg, it greg. thanks for your time man take care